Podcast by Committee is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. And uh, because we got, I'm assuming, a wide range of awesome listeners here, uh, this isn't just a sports app. If, you, if you're into theater, if you're into music, concerts, whatever, Game Time has a bunch of that too. Whatever you can get with a ticket, basically, Game Time covers up to 60% off. Good times. So the Game Time app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. friends and welcome to podcast by committee your most favoritist fantasy show ever we bring in someone new we rotate some people today's show michael beller what's up beller what's up man i'm happy to be here i'm happy to be how are uh, you i'm doing good i'm happy to be coming out from behind the uh the glass the uh, fake glass as the producer get in front of the mic talk to you a little bit uh should be fun yeah and we we got a lot this is um this so here's a weird thing it's uh, to me this is a weird time of year um, you know, when you could pick up a player in week 12 and he could basically win you your league, uh, you know, in the high stakes leagues, you talk to Vaccaro and those guys about it, how they, they change the scoring. It makes a little more sense, but, um, and I know I sent you a rundown of stuff, but before the call I was flipping through radar 360, the sport radar engine that we have. And I wanted to look up the players from 2016 to 2018, basically from week 12 forward who had the biggest games, um, so maybe we can divine some meaning out of that. I don't know sure. if you're into that at all. No, yeah, let's divine. Uh, obviously, you know, Derek Henry has right. two of the top five uh, coming from last year for 20. I don't know. Should I have made this? Should I have gone back to like 2013? Um, I mean, that's up to you, man. You're the, host, you're the host in this. You know, if you yeah, think so. I mean, uh, the guy who always stands out to me, there were, there were the Tim Hightower games. Um, right. right. And, and then there were, there were the No Sean Moreno games. Um, and the exact years of those escape me, but they got to be somewhere right in that like 2014, 2015 range. You know, I'm going 2010. Oh, we're wow. just going to do catch all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, Derek Henry still number one there. Beanie Wells coming in at number three. 2011 uh, Beanie. Beanie Wells in week 12 under Ken Wisenhunt. Dude, I was here's- such a Beanie Wells guy. I thought he was going to be a star. Me too. <laughs> uh, your No Sean Moreno game comes in uh, fifth. That was week 12 under John Fox in away. So this is crazy. This is what it's, it was an away game. There were minus 110 odds. They were the underdog, obviously, at 224 rushing yards on 37 attempts and Two, a touchdown. How many yards? 224 rushing yards. Yeah, man. He killed it. I mean, that was like a few week stretch where he killed it and he carried on. And, that, and there are people, you know, that there are, we, we get instances of that. A lot of time, like you said, where you were a guy, maybe it's Bo Scarborough this year who pops up week 12 and suddenly has a three game run and you're toasting Bo Scarborough at your New Year's Eve party. Well, that's the thing. Like I was looking for the crazy ones. Um, and, you know, there's the names you hear like, oh, yeah, those guys are good. Like Derek Henry, Le'Veon Bell, Beanie Wells, Jamal Charles, Noshan Moreno, LaShawn McCoy, three Adrian Petersons in a row uh, from 2012 and mm-hmm. 2013. Jay Jai, Ray Rice, Reggie Bush. I mean. They're pretty established. In week, yeah, absolutely. 
in week 12 of 2014, there was Justin Forsett doing it for the Ravens. <laughs> oh, 182 man. yards. Was, was uh, that Willis McGahee had that late season, like four touchdown game for the Bills? Is that before our window here? Uh, it might be. Yeah. I don't see him showing up anywhere in the top 50. Yeah. So he had to have, that had to have been like 07 or 08, something like that. I can pull this back to as far back as you'd like to go. I can no, go no, take I it think, back to the 1950s. I think, I think, I think uh, the point we're making is has already been established with these uh, with this 2010. That uh, as you know, as as much as we might hope for Bo Scarborough to be that guy this season, that more often than not, significantly more often than not, it's going to be someone who is already on a roster. Yeah, and I mean, like you got you got Bryce Brown in 2012, Week 12, ran for 178 yards. Um, Ryan Terrain's actually on here. Oh, Ryan Terrain. Terrain, of course, for Denver. Week no, week fourteen for Washington, for Washington. under Mike Shanahan. <laughs> which is, you know, there's the element right there that you're looking for. Yeah. Um, the really funny thing, I don't know if it's funny or what, but so there's a there's that section that gives you the odds and tells you if it's favorite or underdog. Um, and when I pulled it back to 2010, it got all mixed up. But if, when I left it at 2016, they were mainly favorites. Like yeah, it was like sense. the. 13 of the top 15 were favorites. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you th- like in my mind, it's like a crappy team that's running out a guy, you know, after a couple injuries. Right. But if we're talking running backs, uh, you know, they're probably going to, if they're going to have a big game, they're probably going to be winning the game, uh, salting the clock away late. So uh, I think that makes a lot of sense that you would expect more favorites than not. I guess you're right. I wasn't thinking of it. I was thinking crappy team, probably going to lose. Dude got 180 rushing yards out of nowhere. Finally got a shot. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, it's you know that's what uh, that's why we uh, love the reliability of game script in the fantasy game. <laughs> that's true. Um, if you go to uh, to pass catchers, the receiving yard leaders from weeks 12 to 16 uh, from 2010 on, a lot of familiar names, man. You know who no- number one is? Mr. Josh Gordon. Oh yeah. Well, I mean that that 2013 year, he was just ridiculous uh, all season and especially toward the end of the year. But again, that's, I mean, that, that's what drives us home, right? We're, we're, we're still scouring for value on the waiver wire as we absolutely should be leave no stone unturned, but uh, you're going to uh, not only dance with who brought you, but uh, they're going to be the one uh, who's, you know, lifting you up uh, Patrick Swayze, Jennifer Gray style. Uh, that's who's probably going to be the person <laughs> carrying you to the championship. Well, there is, there is a Marcus Wheaton in there. For 2015, oh, week 12, Marcus Wheaton. <laughs> There's going to be a, a few, uh, a few guys, of course, who pop up like that. But uh, more, more likely than not, you know, the thing about the, the problem with the Marcus Wheatons of the world is how many people actually even started him. How many people got the benefit of that Marcus Wheaton game, other than the Steelers? That's it, right? That's I mean, that's yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I I I shrunk it down to tight end because I think this week, and this is kind of segues into. What I had up at the top, which might be crazy and way too deep, but maybe not. Um, the tight ends uh, end of season were also pretty pretty predictable. It's you know George Kittle, Jared Cook, Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, Brent Selleck, Delaney Walker, Rob Gronkowski, and then Richard <laughs> Rogers. But you know there's there's not there's not that dude, yeah, who popped up. The question is, will there be I mean, that dude like, this year? Well, you know, so I'm editing Emery. Mm-hmm. Late last night, and uh, and you know I, I own this. Really is is kind of like a personal tie in for me, I guess, because I own Trey Burton. Ugh. And um, why I know here well here are my teams. Like throughout all my teams, I really only got three tight ends. Mm-hmm. It was Trey Burton because I remember that uh, Nagy was going to run the ah uh, oh, crap I forget the name of the four the twelve with uh you know with Travis Kelsey with yeah with, with Travis Kelsey being Trey Burton yeah. 
Yeah, good one. Well, the, the, the big problem with that is that you have to be good to be Travis Kelsey and healthy. That's that's a problem. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, Emery's great. And uh, he talks about Jesper Horstead in this column. And I'm like, you know what? Let's go back to this well one more time because I've got Evan Ingram. I've got OJ Howard on my teams. And Ingram's obviously out. And maybe in a second we can talk about Caden Smith, who's basically the Giants' starting tight end right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or or maybe take a shot with Jesper Horstead, who Emery likes a lot, likes enough to to put him in an article. Yeah. Um, right. How much worse can you do, Beller? Then Trey Burton, you can do no worse. I mean, does he even have well, 100 receiving Horstead. yards on the season? Oh, well, I mean, I, I, I guess if what you're looking for there is that the Bears do have a very nice matchup this weekend against the Giants uh, in Chicago, but. Uh, um, I mean, you know, once you get past the the established group of tight ends, obviously you're just shooting for touchdown upside, right? I mean, that's really right. all. You, that's really all you're gunning for. And it's funny what what we've come to accept now as the established group of tight ends. Like Jacob Hollister is a no question about it starter this week. Noah Fant, I would say, is a no question about it starter this week. And those guys, that's probably true for the rest of the season. We do have some guys on by, some big names on by with. Um, uh, Travis Kelsey taking a seat. Hunter Henry is down. Austin Hooper likely to return at some point, but he is going to be out this week with the knee injury. Same for Evan Ingram with the foot, right? So, I mean, that's four guys who, when they're playing, are top seven tight ends in the NFL, all of them. So you take those guys off the table, and uh, you're going to have you – know, you've got your usual group of people who just missed out on the tight end boat who are always going to be reaching. Then you've got your Kelsey owners, your Henry owners, your Hooper owners who need help. Uh, likely in the short term, especially for Kelsey and uh, Henry, of course. So now you're just really shooting for touchdown ups. So that's why I think like Hollister, he's in for sure. Uh, yeah, fan- yeah, but I mean, he's he's not available in leagues. No, and no, he's, I, he's, I mean, I, he he's not. But uh, but so I guess that's where Horstead falls in. Is uh, is let's hope that, uh, that this guy can. Uh, take over a role that really hasn't been all that lucrative and make something of it. That's really the, the, the problem for some of these guys comes in too, right? Like, uh, like the Bears have gotten nothing out of tight ends for two years running now. Uh, right. And they have Bronacker sitting Aguirre. around there too. Yeah, yeah. Ben Bronacker's not going anywhere. He's going to have his role. Uh, you, you had 25 combined targets for Anthony Miller and uh, Taylor Gabriel last week. So that could be something that uh, that carries over to this week. Uh I understand where you're coming from, from Horstead, but this is all like, I mean, this is all closing your eyes and throwing a dart and hoping one of these guys finds the end zone. You know, there's an inter- So we talked about Foster Moreau a little bit on Tuesday with Vic Tafer, and that dude is like total, like you said, touchdown upside. Mm-hmm. Like there are no yards involved here. That's touchdown. Yeah. Um, but you know who's a very interesting guy that nobody's on? He's only 21% of CBS leagues, and he practiced this week coming off of IR. Let me guess, David Njoku. David Njoku. Yeah. See, so Dave, I like I would one million percent have David and Joku over Jesper Horstead without question. Yeah, me too. With I mean, there's no doubt about it, right? Would the you problem, put him ahead of Gisnecki? I would put David and Joku ahead of Gisnecki. Yes, I would. How about Ross Dwelly? Assuming uh, Kittle doesn't play. Assuming Kittle doesn't play, I would put Dwelly ahead of Njoku. And this is all assuming that Njoku is going to get activated and play. But he practiced, right, of course, and he practiced full contact practice. That's mm-hmm. like a lot of people aren't doing that right now. Yeah, you know the problem with Njoku is that. Where do the targets come from, right? Odell Beckham, that's a that's a locked in role. Jarvis Landry, that's a locked in role. Nick Chubb, that's a locked in role. Yeah, maybe he's not going to get much receiving uh, value, uh, but still, it's a high volume back who is going to take seventeen touches or so off the board. And then the reason why Nick Chubb's not getting receiving value is because Kareem Hunt's got seventeen targets over the last two games. So where is David and Joku going to fit in, especially in his first game back in the offense? I mean, e- even with the, even though. He's a better player 
than these guys that we're talking about. And I think we can say that relatively comfortably. We're still talking yeah. touchdown upside here because is he going to get more than five targets yeah. in this game? I don't know, man. Yeah, like, I, you could make problem. the excuse. But I mean, like in the company that we're, we're talking about right now, mm-hmm. the company that it keeps, you know, Mike Gesicki, if you're looking for targets, is probably the guy who's going to get some targets. Probably I, got the, maybe you can mess around with Jack Doyle. I, I don't know. Oh, well, Jimmy I think Graham would you I dip into Jimmy Graham. I think Jack Doyle is the best guy that we've talked about so far. Jack Doyle is the one who I would be starting for sure. And uh, hopefully you are listening to this on Thursday before the game kicks off because uh, right. you will have to have Jack Doyle in there tonight if you want him. But he's the guy of all these guys we've talked about. I mean, no Eric Ebron, uh, a compromised or out T.Y. Hilton. Uh, a totally out Marlon Mack. They're getting Jordan Wilkins back. I mean, you look up and down this this Indianapolis Colts roster, and you look at the uh, the, the 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 skill position players. Jack Doyle is probably your most reliable guy, right? I, I mean, I think Jack Doyle is more reliable to for this offense than Zach Pascal is without Ty Hilton. Zach Pascal has the look of a guy who is a totally fine and uh, serviceable number two who can pop uh, from game to game. But when you ask him to be the number one and when he draws the attention of a number one receiver, he just wilts. And that's, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously it sounds like an insult, but it's not really meant as an insult. It's just the truth. Not everyone is a true number one receiver, regardless of what his team's depth chart says. Just like because you're the best starting pitcher on your team, that doesn't mean you're an ace. That's sort of where we are with Zach Pascal. So I look at the rest of the Colts and I think if I had to bet on one guy doing what I want him, doing what I expect him to do, it's Jack Doyle. It's Doyle for me is a top 10 tight end this week. Which is interesting because Jack Doyle, you think of the Doyle-Ebron split, uh, whereas, you know, some of these other guys are like the guy, you know, and obviously not Horstead, but like uh, Jimmy Graham. Um, yeah. I guess and Hollister J- to a degree. Hollister. Yeah. Foster. Foster. Uh, David Njoku, I'd like Ricky Seals-Jones is still hurt, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is going to be, assuming Njoku plays, that this is going to be his show. But uh, again, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're really getting deep on a bunch of guys who it's really just touchdown upside. And it really, <laughs> it's the deep it's, tight end show. It's like, it's, I mean, it's, it's totally like, so like you can't, if you, if you decide to go with Njoku over Graham and Graham scores a touchdown and Njoku doesn't, you really can't be upset with yourself. You know, it's, it, this is almost like a, uh, like a blind choice. Um, and, and you just got to like make your decision. Don't think about it too much and live with it because I, I will be shocked if any of these guys shows up in a meaningful way if he doesn't score a touchdown. Yeah, that's the problem. Like when you're talking about the just touchdown upside, like we can't sit. I mean, we can kind of sit here and be like, well, you know, here, here are the seven touchdowns the Giants have allowed to tight ends in the last, you know, like stuff like that. But it's far yeah. from a sure thing, man. Like, you know, like if you don't have your top tight end there, that's going to change the face of the offense and stuff like that. And, Mm-hmm. And, I don't know. And matchup like that only matters at the margins, you know, like, right. Like the Cardinals, um, I will put more value in tight ends facing the Cardinals because they have been that bad against tight ends. But if you tell me a team has allowed the ninth most points per game to tight ends, it's like, well, w- effectively, what's the difference between the ninth and the 22nd most points allowed to tight ends? Right. I mean, it's, it, right. it's probably like it's probably like one, maybe two touchdowns on the season. And that's, I mean, and, and so there's just so much luck involved in that, where it, which is why I say once you get past that group of guys who you know you're not thinking twice, am I starting this guy or not, and he's in the lineup, then you make your decision and you live with it. And if it doesn't turn out well, you don't beat yourself up because that's what this game is anyways. And then you got a guy like Foster Moreau uh, who's scored a touchdown like every other game for the last six weeks, I think. Right. And you're just saying like, well, hopefully they get in the end zone they throw to Foster Moreau. Like that's it. <laughs> exactly. There's no analysis there outside of, Hopefully they get into the red zone. Hopefully they get into the money zone. 
and hopefully they throw a touchdown to Foster Moreau because I'd rather take that zero than have the ups and downs of the OJ Howard zero. That's why you're always why we're always saying every single summer that you need to be betting on offenses just as much as you're betting on individual players. It's you, but you know, it's like this year I drafted OJ Howard, Nevin Ingram. I mean, it was smart. Burton. It was smart, and that's the, yeah. that shows you the the vagaries of the game that we love too, right? I mean, no one would have thought you were crazy for taking. No one thought anyone was crazy at ADP. Like people maybe weren't going after OJ Howard as hard as some others, but no one thought you were crazy for taking OJ Howard at ADP or Evan Ingram at ADP. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. That's just you know that's that's fantasy football. Yeah, uh, I got them both on some teams. I was buying into yeah. the Selfino flex one of these tight ends because they're better than. Right, you know, right. whatever wide receiver you get there. I'm like, all right, yeah. cool. Back to the drawing board next summer, I suppose. Uh, maybe I'll just go right. I mean, obviously not Bruce Arians' tight end, uh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just throw Caden Smith out there really quickly for you, Beller. Um, I mean, the Giants sure? have a system where they use their tight end a lot. Um, Caden Smith, basically with Ingram out and Red Ellison not practicing. Um, you know, he's just like, not to be like he's just a dude. But he's the starting tight end for the Giants in a system that has a rookie quarterback that likes the tight end. So what? Just throw, just throw it out there. He played fifty-seven percent <laughs> of the snaps in Week Ten. They had the bye. Just throwing it out there. What do you do with those fifty-seven percent of snaps? I believe one target, one catch, there's, one yard. That there, there's the number that matters. There's the number that matters. And for everything that's gone wrong for the Bears this season, still a very effective pass defense. So, so um, I, I would have. I mean, Caden Smith is I don't know tight end thirty this week. Basically, what I want to do is say every tight end fringe name so then we could use this, you know, pull out this clip and be like, oh, remember when I said Caden Smith? Yeah, there you go. Remember that? <laughs> remember when I said Jeremy go. Sprinkle? That makes for, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Caden Smith and Jeremy Sprinkle makes for some compelling podcast fodder right there. I think, I would assume, right? <laughs> we're, we're on one. We'll find out. Let me see when the drop off comes. Uh, I do. I, I want to quickly hit on the running back situation in Indianapolis. I don't want to date this there too much go. in case people are listening to this Friday or Saturday, but um, do, you, do you have any kind of scientific way of determining, like, again, Emery wrote about Jonathan Williams and he likes him. He's got the talent and Jordan Wilkins coming back on a short week seems iffy. I picked up Naheem Hines uh, in at least one league and like as an ad drop, not even as a waiver wire ad, like at like yesterday, I picked up Naheem Hines, uh, you know, when it opens up to free for all. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel OK about that. But I mean, I like I don't know if you like is Jonathan Williams this year's Damian Williams and Jordan Wilkins just a red hearing herring? I don't or think is, so. or is this, you know I think that we have no reason to think Jordan Wilkins won't be the guy. Um assuming he's healthy. Obviously, uh Jonathan Williams impressed the team last week and is going to have some sort of role in this game tonight. But uh, everything that uh, this team has shown us this season uh, suggests that Jordan Wilkins is the guy behind Marlon Mack when he's healthy. He's off the injury report. He's going to play tonight. This was a situation that uh, I wouldn't want to get tied up in unless I had to. And it's another one of those that we just, I mean, no matter what we do, no matter all the analysis, all the smart things that we think we know and you know think we hear and think we say, this is just something we're, just, we're not going to know. We're going to go into this game tonight not knowing for sure is it going to be 80-20 in favor of Wilkins? Is it going to be 80-20 in favor of Williams? Is it going to be a 50-50 split? We can't – anyone who's telling you that they know this is lying to you and is a charlatan and is not someone that you want to put any sort of faith into at all because unless, – unless you have a direct line to Frank Reich because he knows, but everyone yeah. else is just making suppositions. And uh, I, I think that uh, my supposition would be that – uh, for the last few years, Jordan Wilkins has been the primary backup to Marlon Mack. He's healthy. 
There's no reason to think he's been Wally pipped out of one good game from Jonathan Williams, especially considering that game came with the Colts already leading the Jaguars by like two scores. I mean, that couldn't have been a better environment that he stepped into. So I, I would be will I would my my bet would be something like a 65-35 split in favor of Wilkins. Now you could make the argument, and I think this is just just in defense of some of the people who might be bleeding about knowing that's bleeding with a T. Uh, about knowing like how this is going to play out, yeah, bleating. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you could say, oh, Jonathan Williams maybe has more talent, but there's no way you can say that you're going to know how the system's going to go and the game flow is going to go and who's going to do what. Exactly. We can take our best guesses. You know, Frank Reich's past. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how like, the different styles of the runner, how it fits into the offense, how familiar they are with the offense. But, uh, you know, but at the end of the it's, day, it's a, just it's like a, it's an educated guess. It's like a it's like a weighted guess is what we're basically doing here. And that's why I would try to get away from this situation if I could. But I, I just don't nothing. the If if the Colts go with more Jonathan Williams, it means one of two things. It means either one Wilkins is a little bit is still a little bit banged up and they don't want to throw him right back into the fire. And, or two, or I guess it could be a combination of these two things or two. They've made a conscious decision that we don't for sure know that Williams is the better fit than Wilkins. And that's, that's just right. a fact. And I mean, you have to be comfortable with the uh, with these unknowns if you're going to play fantasy football and not, you know, beat yourself to death over it. Did you? You guys didn't talk about Williams on the advanced route, did you? We did not. We did not. We talked about uh, the three big games on the slate: uh, Patriots, Cowboys, 49ers, Packers, and Ravens, Rams. What an organic plug that was. Hey man, I'm in the business for a reason. Check it out on iTunes. <laughs> Check it out on iTunes. <laughs> um, Naheem Hines, do you have? A, is he like a seven four twenty five, possibly a touchdown in the air kind of guy? That's exactly what he is. That's exactly what he All is. Right. So, so that's why I mean, I mean, you're scraping the bottom of the barrel. There, there, there's there's a literal zero floor. I mean, there's a literal zero point floor for Naheem Hines, and that is the ceiling, right? He's going to get seven targets. Maybe he catches four of them. Maybe he gets in the end zone like he did last week. And that's what you're hoping for. I mean, you are going to be hoping against hope all night long. Um, that uh, the I mean, That's really the problem with Naeem Hines, sort of to uh, cut myself off a little bit and redirect, uh, is that <laughs> his, his like 95th percentile game is still just like 14 PPR points. Theoretic. Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, he's, yeah. he's theoretic and probably a slightly less pass-friendly offense. Yeah. Um, new topic. Is everyone sweating the Jets a little too hard now, Beller? What do you mean by sweating? Oh, you know, like, again, like I, I'm editing everything on the site and reading it all. And it just seems like everyone's like, maybe there's too much Salfino Vaccaro in here, but <laughs> it's like Sam Darnold has is in line for the third greatest week in a row. And we told everyone to pick him up and, you know, uh, not like they're gloating about it. Just kind of, they're being nice about it, but you can know, I, can I ask you a question it, before I answer it, yours? Please. Is that like a is that like a northeast term? Sweating meaning like pumping them up? Yeah, I didn't think that was northeast. Is it? I've never I've never heard that before. Really? Yeah. I kind of maybe I learned it like in the Bill Biv DeVoe era. <laughs> so is it like an 80s term? Maybe it's like 80s 90s, yeah. <laughs> Early 90s maybe. Like you know I'm I'm sweating this I'm sweating this girl a little too much. Or like I'm you're sweating those jeans. Oh, never heard man. that before? I mean, I when you say it in the in the context of uh you know, sweating this girl, I, that sounds somewhat familiar, but uh, no, I never, if I, I would say like sweating is almost like fretting or being nervous about that's the, no, no, the, the that's DFS like the 
colloquial context that I've heard it in most. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Is, is everyone going a little too gaga over the Jets? How about that? Ah, there we go. Gaga. Is, much this, a, more, is this a trap? Is this a um, trap? You know, we talked about this on the ranking show yesterday, uh, and our, our buddy Jake Seeley uh, is really not feeling Sam Darnold at all. Uh, he, he's pointing out that the reason Darnold had his good fantasy game against the Giants was because he got that rushing touchdown, and Jake is right about that. Then the uh, the following week, last week, he threw for four touchdowns, got to tip your cap, but against uh, the Washington Redskins, so you take that with uh, at least a little bit uh, of salt there, and uh, you go forward into this game uh, for the Jets against the Raiders. It's another good matchup. Uh, but uh, I, I do, I am not worried about Robbie Anderson. Um, just the fact that we've seen so much nothing from him this season. And he's had a couple of nice matchups in a row and he did nothing against the Giants. Then last week against the, uh, against the Redskins, he caught one pass. It was a touchdown, but it was his only catch of the game. It was six yards. So you know, the fact that they haven't been able to get anything consistently going downfield for Robbie Anderson, I do think is a concern. Um, I don't know if everyone is sweating in your t- t- terms, uh, the Jets <laughs> too hard, because I do think that there's still a lot of talent in this offense and um, you, you can't take away the rushing touchdown from Sam Darnold. Obviously, it's more descriptive of previous performance than predictive of future performance. Sam Darnold, believe it or not, is not Lamar Jackson. We can't really count on too many rushing touchdowns from him, but there's still some talent there. Uh, there and still uh, what you, we at least believe to be a growing quarterback as young as he is. Uh, Jamison Crowder has been super productive. I actually just did this for uh, Funston's Roundtable, which you'll be able to see on The Athletic if you are a subscriber, theathletic.com slash PBC, 40% off tomorrow on the website. Um, Jamison Crowder, over his uh, six games with Sam Darnold as the starter, has given you 12.74 PPR points per game. That's the same number as Keenan Allen is hitting per game this season. So he's been very reliable, very productive. Uh, four of those six games have been big games, three touchdowns, uh, a touchdown apiece in each of his last three, two 90-plus yard games, a couple of double-digit catch games. So Jameson Crowder has been a very reliable guy. Uh, the, the, the biggest mystery in this offense to me is Le'Veon Bell and just how nothing has been able to happen for him. And that's going to happen for bad team for running backs on bad teams, running backs on bad offenses, might not find a whole lot of running room, might be uh, tracing a lot. So that's not the hugest surprise in the world. What surprises me is how uh, ineffective he's been in the passing game. And it really hasn't been for a lack of trying. I mean, they've, they've done what they can to get him involved in the passing game. But the fact that we just really haven't seen any vintage Le'Veon as a pass catcher, I mean, he's the archetype. He's the prototype for for Christian McCaffrey and, and Saquon Barkley and Aaron Jones, guys like that. And we just haven't seen it from Le'Veon Bell as a receiver this season. That's really the head scratcher for me. That's what I'll be watching most closely the rest of this year to determine what we're going to feel about the Jets next year. Um, but uh, but to uh, come all the way back to your question, I think there is a, maybe a little bit too much sweat going into the Jets only because uh, we are building up matchup, I think perhaps a little bit too much, make, giving it too much importance uh, uh, outsize importance uh, more than it deserves. Well, let me follow up for you. Uh, you know, there there was kind of a, a minor hullabaloo uh, right before draft time, late August, when it was kind of revealed that Adam Gase didn't want Le'Veon Bell, you know, didn't want him on the team. And there were two theories that sprung out of that. Either he's not going to use him in his offense, his genius Adam Gase offense, <laughs> or he'll, you know, he'll run him down because, you know, if I got to use him, might as well just use the crap out of him. Um, should we be more cognizant of that now? Going uh, forward, like next year, year after, if you hear these rumors that this coach was installed after this player signed and you know doesn't want him, so you're you're saying not specifically this one, but if, if, should this situation arise elsewhere? Yeah, I'm saying like say Josh McDaniels goes and coaches the I don't know 
Patriots. Gotcha. Uh, that's a bad example. You know, all right, some <laughs> other team. Yeah, takes over for the Browns. Let's say, right, right. Uh, you know, and he doesn't. You know, these aren't his guys. Um, I, I don't think so, and I think that that that's more of a like a resource allocation thing than it is a player usage thing, right? It wasn't that. He, it wasn't that Adam Gase thinks Le'Veon Bell is bad. It's that Adam Gase thinks spending the sort of capital that the Jets did to secure Le'Veon Bell could have been better spent elsewhere to round out the entire team. But once you've got the guy, you've got the guy, and you're going to try to make the best use out of him. So I wouldn't think that, to use your example, if Josh McDaniels is the head coach of the Browns next year, that we should be concerned about what he thinks about Kareem Hunt or about Nick Chubb uh, because they were from a previous regime. I, I think that that's more about uh, team building rather than team usage. Follow-up number two, um, if a guy takes the year off, I mean, like Melvin Gordon did it. I mean, now I guess it's that's a mess because a different offensive coordinator, different philosophy, whatever. I don't know what you can divine from it, but Le'Veon Bell took a whole year off. Took an entire year off of football, came back, and, you know, d- did that play into it, Beller? Is this a Jets thing or is this a Le'Veon Bell taking a year of football thing? Um, I think that it's probably a little of both. I don't want to speculate too much because I'm not an expert in that field on what uh, what a year off from a rigorous sport could do to, uh, to one's body and what they come back as. Um, but I do think just, uh, you know, uh, logically thinking about it, that it is a situation where you could see how – being out of the league for a year and then coming back, no matter how much preparation you've had, uh, isn't going to uh, be something that is able to, where you're able to just hit the ground running, where you're able just to be there on the fly, especially if you're changing teams, right? Like if he had he gone back right. to Pittsburgh, let's say, he, and he's all the same teammates, the exact same system, uh, knows exactly what's going to be expected of him, then maybe we would have seen a slightly different year out of Le'Veon Bell, um, but. Again, this is this is one of those things that's not totally knowable and not totally quantifiable. How much can we put on the Jets having played, uh, what, four games uh, with a backup quarterback, with a third-string quarterback in Luke Falk? How much of it owes to an offensive line that hasn't really done much in the way of getting Le'Veon Bell open holes? How much of it owes to play calling and uh, the ways that uh, Le'Veon Bell has been deployed? I mean, you know, so much of football, unless you're in the room, is something where we just have to again make our best suppositions based on what we know as as uh, you know very uh, interested viewers in the sport and uh, what we know from history, what we know from a from a player's history and from the league's history, and we sort of put it all together and uh, we make you know our best uh, again. Not, I don't want to say guess, but uh, our best. I hate to keep using the word, but suppositions based off of all that information with, with Le'Veon Bell. I would tend to put more in the I would put tend to put more stock in the failing fortunes of the Jets than I would in him taking a year off. Well, uh, moving along, are you worried at all about this Tampa Bay offense? Because um, I do this thing with, when I'm, I'm trying to look at you know recent trends and stuff like that, and it might sound like dumb and surface, but it works. Uh, I'll go to my uh, I play a lot of my leagues on CVS. I'll go to CVS. I'll go to players. I'll go to stats, and I'll change it to weekly scoring. And uh, I do this more for DSTs, really. But once in a while, I'll, I'll go over and look at you know the skill players, and they they show you the, the fantasy scoring for your league every single week. And I just like to eyeball the last three and just see kind of like, well, that's guys, that's interesting. He's very low here. And you look at Mike Evans and Chris Good, uh, Chris Godwin. Evans, the last two weeks, you know, in this in this one league I am, I assume it's just straight normal PPR scoring, whatever. But uh, you know, he went from forty two to thirty six points. Um, in weeks eight and nine off the bye, and then went down to 12 and then 10 the last two. Godwin's been even kind of more disappointing with 10, 13, 13, and 13 in a row from weeks um, eight through 11. Uh, and, you know, they put up big numbers. They have gaudy numbers. 
you know, in your brain, you might be thinking those two have actually been better than they are, but um, Godwin and Evans have been kind of slumpingly. And I wonder if that's, uh, you know, like is Evans going to be like Stefan Diggs all up and down all over the place over these next few weeks and possibly cost you like, you know, say you got the buy, say you go to week 15, you got Mike Evans, you feel confident and he puts up one of those eight point games. Um, or, or do you feel okay about these guys? I feel totally okay about these guys. Again, that is just that, that's right. the, that led to, to quote Hyman Roth. This is the business we've chosen, right? <laughs> and this is it. This is what the game is. This is what fantasy football is. And, uh, I mean, the, the history of this game does not have very many guys who week in, week out are giving you those huge numbers. The reason why a guy averages 20 points per game is because he's going to be able to give you those 37, 38 point outlier games. That's why, right? I mean, there is going to be a Christian McCaffrey, uh, a 2019 Christian McCaffrey, a 2018 Todd Gurley, um, uh, 2016 Antonio Brown. There are going to be two three of those guys a season, and then everyone else is going to be up and down. That's just the nature of the game uh, because of because not every team is going to be able to go out and do exactly what it wants to do every single game. Sometimes, through no fault of your own, you're just going to get shut down. An offense is going to get shut down. A player is going to get shut down. You tip your cap to the opponent. They did their job better than we did ours, and you move on to the next week. That's just going to happen. Then on top of that, you've got individual players who even if the offense doesn't get shut down, they're just not going to have their best game. It happens. That's just how this game works. Two bad games. I mean, two bad games does not make a slump uh, out of Mike Evans, especially when you're going into but it. Having had, oh, yeah, it's annoying. But, you know, someone's going to lose. Of course it's annoying. But, hey, I mean, that's just the, that's just the nature of the game. That's what's going to happen. So, no, I am – if I have Mike Evans, which I do in many spots, I love having Mike Evans. I will go to bat with Mike Evans every single week the rest of the season with a ton of confidence. I want Mike Evans on my side. If my side falls short, it ain't Mike Evans' fault. The reason I'm there in the first place is because Mike Evans is able to do what he is able to do week in, week out. Same goes for Chris Godwin. Four games in a row that maybe uh, didn't meet your expectations, that's going to happen. What did he do in the beginning of the season, though? If you were, if you were sitting at 4-0, and probably a big reason why you were is Chris Godwin. And if you don't want to go to bat with Chris Godwin every single week, trade him to me because I will go to bat with Chris Godwin every single week. I love that offense the, 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 from a fantasy perspective. They're going to throw, throw, throw. Jameis Winston is putting up numbers even as he is putting up these ridiculous turnover totals. Uh, he's still putting up fantasy numbers. They are never going to take the foot off the gas, especially in the air. So, uh, no, I am not gun-shy or scared at all about Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, even Jameis Winston. Uh, let me ask you this and throw Julio Jones into that mix. Yeah. Rank I mean, those three. Yeah, I'd put, give me Julio, too. I mean, again. I mean, rank, rank Julio against Godwin. And I know that this is pointless almost in a way because everyone's rosters are set, trade deadlines are passed. Right. But, I mean, if you, if you, I mean, if you're looking at this going in on a confidence scale, yeah. would you rather have Julio Jones or Chris Godwin as your WR2? Well, I'm WR2. So first of all, I've loaded a wide receiver. Secondly, well, let's say, well, let's say um, you have Evans. Uh, maybe Evans is a bad idea, you know, because, you know, Evans a Godwin, whatever, whatever. But say you got Michael Thomas. Yeah. And you somehow managed to pull off Julio Jones or Chris Godwin as your WR2. Which one would you rather yeah. have? Yeah. There's probably a lot of people who have that right back end of the first round. You take uh, Julio and you take Michael Thomas. I would rather have Julio. Um uh, just because of uh, the the unquestioned status that he has on his team, and Chris Godwin's status isn't questioned either. But for me, Mike Evans is still the best receiver on that team, and uh, no one can come close to Julio Jones, especially with Austin Hooper off the field. Uh, there's going to be just uh, all you can eat buffet for Julio Jones in terms of targets. So give me Julio. But uh, again, this is these are first world problems. No one's going to be crying right. for you if you've got Julio Jones or Chris Godwin as your uh, wide receiver one or two. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to finish off the show a little bit with some Browns Dolphins. Um, 
I know we're kind of you know we're kind of tight against that thirty minute window that we like to keep it to, but um, oh, we punched through that window. I know, but we try. (laughs) Uh, Very quickly, what do you think of this statement? I think the Dolphins upset the Browns, and that's it for Freddie Kitchens. Um, I think I'm surprised they didn't let Kitchens go after this debacle against Pittsburgh, which was a win, I guess. But you know, I think uh, I do not think that is going to happen. I do not think it will happen. Um, No, I mean. You know, I'm really interested, actually, in watching the Browns the rest of the season. Uh, they're not going to make the playoffs, right? And they're, they they could they would need they would need to have the most outrageous six week run to live up to our bottom line on paper expectations from the beginning of the season. Even if they did do that, they wouldn't have lived up to our expectations because it would have been you know so weighted toward the back end of the season. And if you did you know, make Odell Beckham your number one wide receiver. There's pretty much nothing he could do at this point uh, to justify your love for him in the summer. Same goes for Baker Mayfield, right? So um, so, so we know all that going into this, but it, I think they're a very interesting team uh, over the back half of the season because, and Nando, this team is still loaded with talent, absolutely loaded. Yeah. With Baker and Odell and Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb and, and Kareem Hunt. And I know that Kareem Hunt is a one year deal, but maybe they bring him back next year. And, you know, we see what this team uh, becomes. I mean, if they do show Freddie Kitchens the door in the offseason, coaches are going to be lining up to be the head coach of this team. Yeah, right. I mean, the, the NFL coaching and probably most coaching businesses is a very ego driven business. And I can see more than a few guys saying, I am the missing piece. That Freddie you know need- guy was a bum. I am the missing piece to make this offense go. And I really think there's someone out there. Maybe it is Josh McDaniels, someone like that, who can make this offense special and make it I mean, what it you needs know, it's, to be. You know, it's Todd Monken. They have him. They got yeah, the guy there. You there you go. There you go. You make Jack Del Rio the head coach and Monken's your offensive coordinator. God, I mean, wouldn't you love to see them let Monken take over as the, at least as the play caller for the next yes. six weeks and see what it, see what could be put together? Yes, please. I would love to see that. But I do not think we're going to see an upset in this game. Um, I, I just think, look, look, Miami is Miami is an interesting team, too, because we know they're bad, right? Some teams are just bad, bottom line. It's not their fault. It's a poorly constructed team. There's not a ton of talent. They've been you know, trending in this direction for a few years. There's reason to believe that there's hope for the future. Uh, but they're just a bad team, plain and simple, bad team. But they're a team that plays hard. They've won a few games. They're not completely bereft of talent, especially on offense. Um, they they obviously do their best to win. They try to win. They go out. They don't roll over for anyone. They've beat a couple of decent teams, or they beat uh, the Colts, right? That's a decent team. So, you know, they're really out there, and, they're, and they are not a team that's just going to roll over for the Browns. But they're also just a bad team. And you look at that yeah. defense, and you just see how Cleveland, uh, even though it's not the, uh, you know, firing on all cylinders Cleveland we thought we were getting in August – it still can just overwhelm Miami's defense with talent. And I think that's really where the issue is. They were able to beat Indy because, number one, uh, Brian Hoyer started the game and not Jacoby Brissett. And number two, even when Jacoby Brissett is out there, and even though we would say that Indy is a better overall real-life team than Cleveland, Indianapolis is not the team that's just going to overwhelm you with offensive talent. Cleveland is. Indy's a better team than Cleveland. Cleveland is a worse matchup for a team like Miami than Indy because they can just completely run you off the field run you out of the gym to use a basketball term. So I don't think that um, I don't think that Miami's really going to stand much of a chance in the way of winning this game. All right. We'll see. Sorry. They're plus the, no, that's fine. I'm, I'm crushed. They didn't <laughs> agree with me. Uh, they are plus 370 on the DraftKings Sportsbook yeah. right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 370 on the money line, 10 and a half is the line. And they're three, I think 350 is the next highest, which is Carolina. Yeah. So that tracks. I mean, nine and a half is usually going to be about plus 350 on the money line. Yeah. Check out Best on the Board every Wednesday where Chris Meany and I talk about this also. 
uh, nominated for a Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association Award. Fingers crossed. Go vote for us. Congratulations. I don't know. I don't know. Is this like an Academy thing, a People's Choice Award thing? I don't, I don't know exactly how it works, but uh, hopefully uh, uh, Meanie and I can uh, lift some hardware in a couple of months. The podcast award is voted on by the FSGA membership. Oh, so it is sort of like the... Oh, no, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I take that back. The best gambling podcast is voted on by a judging panel. They're like eight judges. Oh. Anonymous judges. Yeah. Wow. So, there you go. Okay. All right, judges. Ready. <laughs> hey, man. That gets people into trouble. I watch the news. I mean, if you don't bribe your way into a gambling <laughs> podcast uh, win, I don't know. <laughs> what, are you even trying? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Do you understand what... Yeah. Uh, on that note... <laughs> Uh, thank you all for joining us. We hope you had a good time. Like Beller mentioned, theathletic.com slash PBC. They'll get you 40% off. If that doesn't tickle your fancy, um, then maybe I shouldn't be saying that, whatever. Wait till Black – we got some Black get, Friday things. Get thing the hell out of here if that doesn't tickle your fancy. It should tickle your fancy. 40% <laughs> off for all of The Athletic? Yeah. What more could you want? Uh, anyway, thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Beller. I had a good time, even My though pleasure. I think we disagreed about everything. Literally everything. Um, oh. So you get two points of view. You're welcome. <laughs> Instead of one. <laughs> uh, thank you all for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your weeks. Uh, we'll see you next week for pre-Thanksgiving show. Bye-bye.